When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, folks, after what seems like spent a couple of tragic weeks, we're back to finally have some fun today right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my good friend right there, Chris Sinzak. What's going on, brother? Not much. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right, I guess. I mean, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, it has. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a rough, rough stretch for us and, well, for the world, really, with Losing our good friend Adam and uh, Eddie Van Halen, and uh, it's just uh, and well, 2020 just in general has kind of sucked. So, uh, but uh, we're, we march forward, and uh, definitely the most interesting topic we've ever tackled today. I think so. I think we're going to have a real good time. We've got a couple of special guests, and uh, we're going to share some wisdom today for sure. You might learn something about the world. You might learn something about yourselves. So stick around for that. Because before we get to all the fun, we got to take care of our business. And our business, well, it's reviews and recommendations. We love them the most. And you can give them to us just like this one. This one is an Apple podcast review. It's entitled, A Vast Array of Rock and Roll Knowledge. Yeah, we like to drop it, too. All five stars are there, just the way I like it. And it goes a little something like this. Aaron and Chris offer an impressive array of hard rock and metal knowledge born of years of experience and fandom. The gents have mastered the history of the genre. Likewise, they have their fingers on the pulse of current events and new acts. Equal parts informational and entertainment. I always appreciate the enthusiasm these fellows bring to the show and the music. Thanks for being a welcome diversion during my daily commute these last three years. And it's uh really small writing. I can't tell who it's from, but it's, it's really good. <laughs> it's from uh, a reviewer named SoCal Snakebite. Oh, nice. Badass. I like that. That adds a little more credibility, credibility to it when you have a name like that, right? 
Yeah, keep those uh, the reviews coming, guys. Do it on Apple Podcasts, do it on Podchaser, do it on Facebook. I haven't gotten a Facebook one in a long time. Leave a review on Facebook. It's Facebook. It's easy. Come on. Recommendations. That's the easiest way to do it. Just hop on there and give us a bunch of stars. We like that. Yeah. So, uh, Like we said, it's been a rough couple of weeks. I mean, last week we did the Eddie Van Halen tribute. In between then, like Chris said, we lost our man, our main dude over on the Facebook page. And the Decibel Geek website, the guru, the man who was making it all happen for us over there, Adam Cox, our good friend. You've heard us talk about him many a times here on the show. Coxie passed away. And we got together with Rich and Wally from the CGCM podcast. And we did a special video show on uh, Friday night. Yeah. We are, the whole thing was we were trying to raise money for Coxie's family. And we've got a bunch of really great donations. Uh, bunch of awesome contributors that helped us out and we did our little pledge drive and paid tribute to our awesome friend and if you missed it it's still available at decibel geek tv on the youtube as well as our tribute to eddie van halen because we recorded that on video also we're taking a bold jump into the bright new age of video here on the internet huh <laughs> yeah we get to look at our but ugly faces <laughs> the opportunity to help us out still remains because the gofundme is still open for adam cox and you know i i said it and i posted it on the facebook if i if every one of my friends donated a buck i mean that would really really do something to help these people out that you yeah. know he was our awesome friend, and if you've enjoyed Decibel Geek, and if you commented or you know been a part of the conversation on the Facebook page, a buck or two ain't gonna hurt you, but it sure can help a lot, and we would definitely appreciate it. So yeah. look up Adam Cox and his family on GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can put a link. We, we will definitely put a link in the show notes to this. And uh, yeah, I mean even a buck or two, whatever you can to help us out. We got some good goals for this money to help the family out. And if you want to chip in and make it happen for us, man, we love you for it. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And yeah, Adam, you know, he leaves behind a wife and two young sons. So, um, you know, it's very, it's hard enough emotionally for them. So we're trying to do what we can to take the strain financially off of them. So it really means a lot. Even if it's a small donation, it all adds up. They reach the goal and we're trying to raise $5,000 for them so they can, they can get through this, this process, which has got to be horrible. But, uh, yeah, just look up uh, fa- fundraiser for Adam Cox family on GoFundMe, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this. And thank you to everybody that's donated so far, man. We appreciate it so much. Yeah. And uh, so next thing is Geeks of the Week. And speaking of Adam Cox, you know, we made the decision on Friday night that uh, Adam Cox will lead Geeks of the Week every week from now going forward. So uh, we're going to do that now. Uh, so Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Jason Buckler, Mike Grabowski, Bill Elam, David Hope. Joseph Capone, Mike Parnell, David Glenn, The Bakery Podcast, Aaron Baker, In Obscuria Podcast, Wayne Cross, Hakon Bergstad, JJP, Body of the Soul, Doug Fox, Eladio, Daniel Lee, Stick Stickman, Rockin' Ron Runyon, David Cathy, Kristen Schimbeck, Scott Crouch, Vet Halen, and as always, The, the Mood. That's right. Those are our people. They love us, and they want to tell their friends, and they want to tell the world. And the best way to do that is to share each week's episode when it comes out on Twitter, when it comes out on the Facebook uh, share it, retweet it, all that good stuff, and you can become an honorary geek of the week. Yes. So let's get back on track and have some fun. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to talk some kiss. Yes, we have two special guests coming in that have written a book together, and uh, well, let's just get them on and then we'll get going. Welcome, Matt and Court, to the show. Hey guys. How you doing? Hey, how are y'all? 
Right, good to have you on. Man, I'm excited about this book. This is very cool. I love we we got our copies already. I've been flipping through it. It's really cool. You know, one thing that people may not put together is kiss and philosophy. But you guys have done that. And this book is far out awesome. Right there, the cover, right off the bat, is so cool. Tell me about the artwork before we get into the meat and potatoes of what this is all about. Well, I, I wish I could take credit for the artwork, uh, but the artist is a, a person out of New York, and I'm, I can't remember his name right now, um, but he is quite sought after, and yeah, I, I actually did a book on my own and wanted him to do my cover, but he was well out of my price range because he does such great work, as you can tell from this, uh, and so yeah, I love the cover. Uh, glad that it's not getting me sued or anything that way. Cause, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's amb- ambiguous, but it's, there's no doubt that's kiss. You're talking about kiss when you're looking at that. Yeah. I love it. It's very cool. Very eye catching right off the bat. And, uh, this is kiss and philosophy. So, I mean, where do you guys come in and put kiss and philosophy together? I mean, because when people say philosophical bands, I think, you know, you maybe think about Rush or like some progressive rock bands or maybe some Fleetwood Mac or Pearl Jam even and something like that. But most people, kiss, well, that's just, you know, meat, potatoes, rock and roll. There's no philosophy in that, right? Well, that's what you would think. And I'll offer an answer and then I'll let Matt because I know he – uh, takes it from a historical uh, point of view, but uh, I first did a, one of the X and philosophy books with Dr. Who. Uh, I guess it's been 10 years now. And so I was thinking about what to do after that one. And so I was sitting in as a grad student, uh, an engineering ethics course. And I was sitting over there, a room of 300 people or so at Tennessee as the professors taught. And I would sit over there and, and draw uh, the different makeup of the, kiss personas and then i started just writing out philosophical ideas or concepts that could be related to kiss and so that's where i think it it began for me really seeing the depth of it but then i mean a lot of it comes from my own life lessons growing up in a small town in mississippi uh, that was quite uh, oppressive and especially in terms of being a kiss fan and being kind of an outsider. And so uh, I put together my own life lessons that kiss taught me to always work hard, always fight for my dream to never give up. I put that together with my PhD work in philosophy and have been adding kiss to my lectures for several years. And then finally, thanks to the, farewell tour uh the new one that uh, the publisher gave me the green light so that's my answer i don't know what matt has to say i can't imagine showing up to class and be like my professor is the coolest he he couldn't go five minutes without bringing kissed into the subject matter <laughs> yeah i would often sing especially uh, reason to live uh that was always a big one uh so <laughs> And then for historical, somebody be like, "Rock on, professor!" <laughs> now they mostly just shake their head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of well, course, 
I do want to point out that on the back cover of the book is a picture of Professor Lewis in full makeup, and that is a costume that he designed. Can you think of a cooler photo of the author than that one right there? That's pretty that's cool. Pretty, yeah, I can't think of anything <laughs> cooler than that unless you're actually Gene Simmons. That's really cool picture. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So who that's not the one I was wearing when I got kicked out of a concert, but uh Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, definitely wanting to hear this story. Well if you're gonna bring it up, <laughs> tell story. How do you get, how do you get kicked out of a kiss concert in Mississippi? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, well, it's quite easy to be honest. <laughs> it's Mississippi. Uh, now it was the, um, uh, it was during the reunion tour. I was working at a little deli there. I actually won uh, tickets off of the radio. And the question was, uh, what, what famous band did Gene Simmons discover, which was, uh, Van Halen. And so I won tickets because I knew that. In my excitement, I thought the tickets were front row, um, and so I had a I had a really great plan of bringing records with a pen. I wrote a letter. I even put change in the letter so it would fly where I threw it, uh, to tell, telling Kiss that I appreciated them and that I invited them back to my apartment uh, after the show. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, so that's how it all got really started. Uh, while this was going on, uh, Tupelo, Mississippi was the place of Reverend Wildman and the, uh, I don't think it might be focused on the family or something. He was, he was out there boycotting Bart Simpson, uh, and they boycott a lot of uh, different movies over the years. Very, um, big religious group. So anyway, it was a really neat time. You had all these religious individuals boycotting Kiss coming, and then you had Peter Chris writing letters to the newspaper. So it's a really neat time to be a Kiss fan. Um, in my youth, I decided to show up at the concert uh, with all my paraphernalia, my albums and stuff, um, in full jean makeup with a a shirt um, that said, I love Kiss, uh, with an expletive that included the word God. Oh, and- we're going to have prayer circles. Uh, so, uh, I show up after consuming large amounts of, uh, alcohol. Alcohol! That's right. (laughs) Cold gin. Uh, and supposedly I left my girlfriend at the apartment and lost her ticket, but I don't think any of that ever happened. Um, but what did happen was I showed up front row, and I didn't have front row tickets. So at this point, uh, they moved me off to the mezzanine. I had mezzanine tickets. I didn't know what M-E-Z-Z meant. But I knew never to give up. That if I, if I fought hard enough, kiss the kiss gods would shine favorably on me. And similar to what I did at a Rolling Stones concert that got me front row, I tried to sneak around the side. I wound up backstage... And uh, security told me to go away. I went away, uh, sort of. I just went up a level, and I was in this area where I wasn't supposed to be sitting because it was side stage. And you could actually see Gene Simmons' little booth where he goes over and freshens up his makeup and whatnot. And so at this point, I'm like, hey, I can throw my letter. It will go into his little booth. And so 
the, the night won't be lost. So I walk over to the edge and it's at that point security is lined up. They look at me. They see what I'm doing. I'm trying to get to Gene Simmons. They then disperse quickly. I then disperse quickly. I throw the letter. <laughs> I'd like to think it went in the booth, but I have no idea. But I threw the letter and I took off. And at that point, security grabbed me uh, and very nicely told me not to resist, um, which Tupelo PD, you don't resist, right? <laughs> They're a law unto themselves. Um, they escorted me outside. And at that point I just broke down and I started crying like a, uh, a true grown man in full demon makeup, you know, <laughs> it's all running down. Like the uh, roll without heroes video, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so, and so these guys come out and they're like, why are you crying demon? Uh, and it's just like, I'm like, I got kicked out. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it, I actually didn't give up there. I went around to the where the buses were, and this guy I work with didn't recognize me. He called security on me. Uh, so anyway, I go home. I'm upset. I'm devastated. My girlfriend is upset, and uh, I wind up later that night at a, a Shoney's breakfast buffet, and um, <laughs> the, the tatters of my makeup. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and I was devastated for, for a long time. It, it it was actually this picture on the back. That was the first time I did kiss uh, makeup. It took about a year for me to recover from that. It's a horrible experience. But I look back and laugh, and Matt always laughs at me for it. So. Wow. <laughs> did, did anybody uh, come up to you at the Denny's and ask for your autograph? No, no. Uh, they, you know, it was mostly um, – yeah, mostly drunk people, so I think they were just really confused. So <laughs> why is Gene Simmons sitting in Denny's crying? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Most time. That's so, right. That's amazing. What a story. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It makes me laugh just think about it. And Matt, your contribution to the book is fantastic as well. Thank you. Yeah, I did a, a chapter on the how KISS impacted the culture of the 1970s. I, I was born in 1968, grew up in the 70s. I was an early fan of their work. Uh, my my uncle, I got a similar story to you, Aaron, in that my uncle gave me my first KISS album. It was the debut album. I was just hooked by the, the image, the makeup, uh, and uh, on my little kid's turntable, I must have given that thing 10,000 spins. And so was an early fan. And I, I just have vivid recollections as a young person of, of making these connections with other kids in school, just based on being fans of this band. And of course that was long before people really had kiss t-shirts. There were no visible markers of kiss fandom. And yet somehow we found one another. And uh, so it, you know, in, in being asked by Dr. Lewis to write this chapter, I started really thinking about, well, how did KISS shape my own past, my upbringing, my culture? And it was really profound as I began to gather all this information together. And, of course, talking to a lot of other KISS fans, talking to court, uh, hearing, listening to you guys on Decibel Geek and your own uh, testimonies of what that band has meant to you. It's just incredible the how they've shaped 
you know, our identities and who we've become as, as adults and as people. And, you know, to this day, I'm 52 years old and I'm still just a massive fan of Kiss. I can't get enough of them. Yep, I hear you. And the other thing I like about it, too, is like the shared history, like the things you wouldn't think. You think, oh, I'm the only one that's ever thought of doing this. But you mentioned doing the pencil shading over the inside gatefold <laughs> of the double platinum. And I get a kick out of that because for a long time I thought, I'm a genius. I'm the only one that's ever thought of it. And then I realized everybody was doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mentioned in the in my chapter that it, it, you know for fans that became that came a little bit later, like Chris, I know you became a big fan in the '80s. Yeah. There was something yeah. really special in the '70s about not knowing what they looked like. There was so much mystery wrapped up in who they were. Uh, I mentioned in the book that I, I I was looking at a music magazine and there was a picture of Gene leaving this restaurant and he had like a, a napkin over his nose and mouth and just for the first time seeing a picture of the upper half of Gene's face and what a big deal that was and, and getting that magazine and showing it to my friends and all of us trying to, you know, figure out who he was and what he looked like. And, it, you know, it was just, there was a real mystery wrapped up in, in who they were. They were certainly larger than life in terms of their images and all of that was, of course, you know, crafted brilliantly by their management team. But, you know, being a kid and, and looking at them and I don't know about you guys, but, I became fans of one or another of the band members and it changed over time. First it was Gene and then it was Ace and then it was Paul. I've been a fan of every member at different points in my life. Yeah. One of you had mentioned, I can't remember which one that Peter was your, your first favorite member. Was that you court? And I was the same way. And I, I mean, I wound up being a guitar player, but I loved drummers when I was a kid and, and I remember like I got obsessed with the drum solo on Alive to the to the point where I would drive my family crazy because I would crank it the vinyl and I would drum on my knees. And I got it down where I could play the whole thing on my knees and I'm so proud of myself. My parents are like, just turn that shit off. You know, they hate it. I was just like I was like, Do you want a drum set? I'm like, Yeah, and they're like, No, pick up a guitar because they didn't want all the noise in the house. But uh but yeah, and and then it shifted over the years. I've had, you know, Paul through the eighties, Paul was my favorite member, but I think now Gene is probably my favorite member, but you know, I hate to say it, Aaron, but Ace, I don't think Ace was ever my favorite, but I always loved him. That's okay. Ace was always my favorite. I know. Never everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who made the, there was, there's, I love that there's a good amount of snark in the writing on the book. Because it's like there's nothing worse than a kiss book that takes itself too seriously. And there's actually some good humor sprinkled throughout this. And I was talking about how you have to have a combination of things to make a great song. And, you know, you use Shout It Out Loud as the example. And then he goes, and if you don't have that, you have Peter Chris's solo album. And I got a huge laugh. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, and I will say that was inspired by Chuck Cloisterman's um, really nice definitive article where he looks at all the albums. And he, de- yeah. you know, he's instead of saying something mean about Peter Chris, he says this album was released in 1978 or whatever. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> we tried to, well, with all of these pop culture and philosophy books, there is an attempt to to make it accessible to everyone because philosophers they can write really well uh, but they don't write really interesting stuff right it's because they're constantly defining words and trying to talk and it looks like they're talking in circles uh with these uh 
it's a struggle to get philosophers to actually write clearly and to to do it as a fan would. So uh, as an editor, I, I work really hard with the authors to make it accessible and fun and to really let their fanhood shine through. And I think that worked out well with Kiss. I, I've done volumes where uh, one person uh, had like a 15-page paper, and by the time I was done with it, it was eight pages. And I was like, that's all you can write and make it interesting. <laughs> um, and he agreed. And it, it's in a different book. But uh, this one I thought came out really well with a lot of interesting perspectives from an, a historian. We've got a, a visual artist, uh, L.A. Recoder. Uh, we've got, yeah, it, it's a nice mixture, I think. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that, Chris, that you recognize the that there is a little humor in it. And yeah. of course I love kiss and I try to make it as, as I tried to get in, you know, who, who's better at double entendres than Gene. Uh, right. And so I tried to put as many of those in there as I could. Right. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. It was, I um, I was talking to my wife. I was, cause she was like, what are you recording this week? And I told her, I was like, yeah, we're interviewing the authors of a book on kiss and philosophy. And she just gave me this look like what? And she's like, <laughs> she's like you mean it's about more than banging groupies i was like well according to this book there is and and then i, I start and i was honestly dreading it a little i was like because i'm not big into philosophy and i was like is i'm gonna am i gonna read you know quotes from aristotle and socrates and plato and stuff but then that that stuff is in there but mm-hmm. i love the way that you guys break it down and 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 it's good for the layman you know it's not you don't have to be a philosopher expert to, to really get what you're saying. And um, yeah, it's, it's a much easier read than I was expecting. So I'm happy for that. Well, I mean, philosophy should be fun. It's, it's all these great thought experiments and what ifs, and it uses your imagination. But for, for some reason, uh, philosophers have, have made it into something boring and really just annoying. I find it annoying sometimes, but I love doing it so much. Uh, but that's what got me into pop culture and philosophy is that it can be fun. It should be fun. And so uh, I try to bring that to the classroom. I tried to do that with uh, that. And I know the authors did too. So, um, so I know a lot of the authors are actually really big kiss fans. And so that's a, an important thing when I talk to them and have them submit chapters is to find out, are you really a kiss fan or, um, you know, what's your purpose here, I guess. Right. You got to make them answer like five trivia questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Test the fanhood. Right, yeah. Matt? That's how you used to do it. You'd have to ask your friend, oh, yeah? Well, you're a Kiss fan. You know, well, how big of a Kiss fan are you? you know? And then, but then it's like you said in there, <clears throat> I've got a lifelong friend that I met in the junior high, and he comes up to me and says, I heard you own the Elder on LP. You know, and just based off of that one thing alone, it's like, whoa, this guy's talking to me about the elder. He knows his stuff and he's interested in it. It's never heard it. This is going to be my new best friend for a long time. You yeah. know, and I love that, that, you know, so many, I love kiss based friendships because they rarely go wrong. You know, <laughs> you yeah. always come from a certain place and you've always got that common ground. You can disagree and still be friends. I mean, Matt hates the elder. Uh, and says that it's objectively bad. Uh, and I've, I've tried to show him, uh, and even wrote a, a chapter about it, uh, that it is, it is good. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Well, I think one of my favorite points in the book 
his courts about the elder when he says, because the elder wasn't Kiss's first album, and because it's not usually the first Kiss album fans hear, listening to it often occurs at a higher level of judgment. And I think that's that pretty much is spot on when it comes to the elder, because if you're a Kiss fan, you come into Kiss, it's not because you stumbled upon the elder. You know, it's because you've heard something that somebody else is playing. And by the time you get to the elder, you know, if it's new to you, you're looking at it and going, okay, you know, or so-and-so said this is the weird one, you know, so you're always, you're always as, as somebody who wasn't there when it came out, which is a totally different experience unto itself, but if somebody discovered it later on, yeah, you're, it's, it's a very easy album to judge. Yeah, I got to think that there's somebody out there that it was their first Kiss album, and then they heard the other stuff, and they're like, oh, this other stuff's garbage. I'll just stick with The Elder. You know there's somebody out there that feels that way. I wish it was all very subjective. Like The Elder, right? Right. Wow, that's crazy. If you're out there, we want to hear from you. (laughs) And put you in a mental institution. That's right. Oh, man. But yeah, and, I, uh, and I will admit that the, the high point, the bright spot on the Elder is Dark Light and Ace Frehley's guitar solo. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. That guitar solo is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the best thing on the record, in my opinion. Yeah. But there, you can never deny the, uh, the mysticism of the Elder, the, how fascinating it is. I mean, even if you don't like the music, and I know Chris will agree with me because he's not the biggest Elder fan either, but. The, the fascination of that era of the oh, band yeah. is just off the charts. I mean, out of, I mean, Julian Gill, and he's quoted in this book also, which he's an awesome Kiss author, and I'd love to have all his stuff. And someday, I'm little by little, I'm going to buy it all. But the very first thing I ever bought off Julian Gill was the Elder book because it's such a weird time in history that it's just fascinating to me, and I always want to know as much about it as I can. Yeah. yeah. Y'all actually had him on your show, and that's how I discovered him and the book. And so I was like, well, I'm going to definitely uh, write a chapter on The Elder. So I went out and got the book and read it and uh, later on picked up the um, the Crazy Nights one. Uh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, I, I read that in like a day. That was a, that was a good one. Of course, that's, that's how I got into it. I, I, I've always loved that record and I still do. I listened to it like a week ago and I was like, yeah, still love it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but I, that's where I came in. So, you know, I, my opinion skewed because of that, I'm sure, you know, but, uh, but yeah, was it Matt? Was it you that had the story about taking or your dad taking you to the dynasty tour? And then 20 years later, you took him to the farewell tour. Yeah. So my first concert when I was 11 years old was the dynasty tour Aaron, when I think about that concert, I think about how much you would have enjoyed it because, you know, Ace played New York Groove, he played 2000 Man, Radioactive, uh, Gene did that. So they did some stuff that they've never performed in concert since. So that was really a, a neat moment for my, my dad and I. My dad was a police officer. He was a San Diego sheriff uh, and a bit of a square. We didn't have a great relationship, but I was such a massive Kiss fan that I just I just pestered him until he said yes and got me tickets. And it was really a, a neat moment to, to go and to, he was clearly enjoying the show despite the, you know, the, the haze of marijuana smoke and scantily clad babe. He was having a good time. And 
I think I mentioned in the book that I was so fearful as an 11 year old that he was going to start arresting people who were smoking pot around us. <laughs> but, you know, we had a great time. The next day he asked me what album Shout It Out Loud was on because he really liked that song. So it was just kind of a neat bonding moment. Mm-hmm. And then 20 years later, um, the year 2000, I bought tickets for my dad and I to go see Kiss. And uh, uh, Good Seats, it was the show with uh, Skid Row opening, Ted Nugent and mm-hmm. Kiss. And Skid Row and Nugent were so loud, so definitely loud, that I went to go get earplugs out in my vehicle. So I left the venue, went to get earplugs, and on my way back in, I hear this young woman's voice. Someone's calling me. She says, hey, dude. So I, I look, I walk over to this car, and there's this this buxom lass in this vehicle. She's She's got on what looks like a, a bustier, and she's got these kind of um, thigh-high lace-up boots, and she asked me to help her lace the boots up. And being a gentleman and being chivalrous, <laughs> I agreed to help her out with that. And at, I decided to walk her into the show. And on the way in, she says, hey, I've got a couple of backstage passes. I work for a radio station. Do you want to go backstage and possibly meet the band? And, of course, I was just ecstatic over the moon. I said, yes, absolutely. And then I realized I had my dad waiting for me in the concert. And so I had to tell her the story about 1979 and first concert. And, you know, this is a, a, a moment for my dad and I. And she was really nice about it. She says, I totally understand. So, you know, again, it just kind of shows that it brings people together. There's a sense of community, the sense of family. It, it was a shared experience for my dad and I to go and, and to see kiss that second time together he enjoyed the show immensely he passed away a few years ago so that was a neat moment to have to share with him yeah yeah super cool the way the like the history rolls on to the next generation but in this case back a skip and that's double cool yeah there ain't nothing that'll bring you close to your parents growing up than if they acknowledge kiss ain't so bad yep that's That's right right there (laughs) i had had that moment with my dad Likewise, at our age, if our kids say to us, you know, this kiss ain't so bad, you go, <sighs> thank you for that, son. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I took, my, I took my three-year-old son up to the uh, show in Indianapolis, just north of Indianapolis. Uh, and it was because I taught my wife into going. It was outdoor amphitheater. And I was like, well, we can bring Elliot to my son. And... We all wore the Creatures of the Night shirt, and so we all three were wearing the same shirt, and he was just mesmerized the whole time, just sat on my shoulder, just captivated, and he left there singing Crazy Nights, which um, (laughs) I actually uh, sent that to Bruce Kulick the other day, and he responded with a big thumbs up. uh, That's awesome. Yeah, family and kiss, right? I would have never thought that worked growing up because my (laughs) mother was insane. Uh, about music and Satanism and whatnot. I had to hide all my stuff and she would like tear up any sort of rock paraphernalia. I had like t-shirts, but uh, to have that now and uh, with my family, it's, it's really neat. That's awesome. Yeah. I had the, I had a moment with my dad I, back in the nineties, I was watching bootleg videos and I was watching the, the Mike Douglas performance of firehouse and he just walked in the room. He heard it and he's listening to all the high, the woo, all the high harmony stuff. And he goes, Oh, he's like, they're just doing like the Beatles. He's like, that's very Beatley. And he's like, Oh, that's not as bad as I thought they would be. And I'm just like, yes, I still remember that. 
you know. And I'm like, do you want to hear other stuff? He's like, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we had the moment. <laughs> yeah. I had that moment with my dad where, because my parents were divorced, uh, and I was listening to ACDC's Highway to Hell, and he comes in and he says, what you listening to? And he always had a stern face. And so I'm sitting there thinking, if I say what I'm listening to, I'm going to be just destroyed. Uh, but I told him I, I risked it. Uh, and he was just, oh, well, that's great. You know, I've got this and this. And I think he, he bought me, uh, I think it was the summer. It was one year. I think it was the year that Countdown to Extinction came out. And so he actually picked that up. Uh, for me on cassette and brought it home and I was just like wow this is so different than my other experience with my mother yeah yeah you guys got it so good still to this day my dad won't pass up the opportunity to tell me wrestling's fake and kiss sucks <laughs> <laughs> oh man talk about crushing your <laughs> come on dad <laughs> Well, so you can read the book and say it's everything's fake. It's all just Great. imagination, right? Uh, yeah. My imagination is just a lot cooler than yours. That's <laughs> right. hey, talking about the, the satanic panic and all that back when you were dealing with your concert story, um, the chapter in there that Donald Presley did about kiss and Satanism is yeah. pretty fantastic. I really dig that chapter, too. He kind of breaks it down to the fact that no, Kiss doesn't worship the devil, but you can kind of see where Satanists would admire Kiss and their message. Yeah, that's one thing I really liked about that chapter was the fact that um, it points out that Kiss isn't Satanist, but uh, they if you actually read the Satanic Bible, you see that a lot of themes that show up in the Satanic Bible show up in Kiss, but a lot of the th- things associated with Satanism don't actually show up in the Satanic Bible. They show up in uh, Milton's Paradise Lost and uh, the um, Dante's Inferno, and right? They're not even in uh, the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament. Um, you get some stuff in Revelation, but, you know, most of it is comes from Christian sources, the idea of Satanism. And you read this actual satanic literature and it's, it's much different. It's much more science based. It's much more enjoy yourself uh, and have fun. Uh, do it with rational, autonomous people. Don't force people to do things against their will. And that just sounds like a kiss message, right? Uh, you got to work real hard. Don't fantasize. Get out there. And, you know, uh, so I really liked what uh, Donald Presley, um, did there. Uh, and he's pretty reclusive. So. Um, yeah, I was surprised he let me publish his work. So, uh, I really liked what he did. Yeah, me too. That was very fascinating and, and a cool different kind of angle because I mean, that was such a big deal back in the seventies. I just was mentioning to my father-in-law about, you know, Knights and Satan service. And he was like, what? I was like, well, you never heard that before. And he never had it. I was like, man, wow. that was a big deal back then. People were, you know, people were scared to kiss. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the 80s and 90s, uh, when I was going to school, when uh, people would find out I was a KISS fan, they would say, oh, well, you must be a Satanist. And I can remember being in a, a youth, a church youth group, and they all stopped and said a prayer for me and my friends uh, because we were the heavy metal kids. Uh, and, and that was just the most awkward and I think distasteful thing that's happened to me 
uh, one of them. And so I never returned to church um, in my teens until much later um, when I actually started examining ch- uh, church and religions from a more objective perspective. But, yeah, it's still that way in places like Mississippi. Yeah, well, growing up, last time we went and seen Kiss, they had the whole setup all front of the religious people yelling yeah. at us. Metal. Yeah, and yeah. growing up in Tennessee, I remember it was if you were a Kiss fan. This is even in the eighties and early nineties. If you if you were a Kiss fan, you were either one a Satan worshiper or two gay or both. That was like it was. I, that's what I I got picked on for both of those things all the time. And then and like I remember I had you know remember you'd have the trapper keepers you could put the magazine pictures down in. Well, I had like this picture of them. It was uh, when they were in London on Big Ben around the Alive Ear, and they're all posing and everything. And uh, this girl goes, "Is that Kiss?" And and I was like, "Yeah." And this guy sitting next to her, he's like, "Well, I guess that's what turns Chris on." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> Jesus. I got picked on." And in the eighty, Aaron knows in the eighties and early nineties, it was really a bad time to be a Kiss fan as far among your peers. They're like, you know, they're they're Satan worshippers, they're gay, and they're old. You know, you used to get get picked on constantly for that. I used to quote, let's put the X in sex. So the whole, you know, the stuff about showing up in your lace and whatnot, mm-hmm. I would I would say that to uh, girls sometimes thinking, hey, this is a good pickup line. And oh, I guess eighth, eighth grade uh, and, and the girl's name's Galatia. I, I, I feel sorry for her because she had to sit in English class with me and she would say something. I'd be like. You know, I would I would conjure up my best Paul and Jean quotes for this young lady uh, who at some point uh, moved to the other side of the classroom, I think. But uh, <laughs> they never worked growing up. Yeah. It never worked anywhere but in the Kiss song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless your name is Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons, it's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at that point, it doesn't matter what you're saying. Well. <laughs> As for the rest of us. Don't never use Gene or Paul lines from songs to try to meet a woman. That's the quickest way downhill you can find. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't talk about anybody's hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or yeah, stiff proposition. Yeah. opening, yeah. right? Hot knife well, through butter. Yeah, well, I like the the segment about you know how evil are Gene's songs. And you bring oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought, that, and like it proves that like pretty much none of them are evil. They're all just about either enjoying your life or having sex or both. You know, right? Was, yeah. yeah, except for unholy, right? Which I yeah. mean, that's what it's supposed to be about. So yeah. Well, yeah. even at that, I got some insight into a song off that list that I never really thought about was the well newer, but you know, modern era Kiss song with Gene Simmons. The devil is me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always thinking mm-hmm. just unholy part two, but the book brings it up and it made me rethink about that song. It really isn't about just being the devil. It's about, you know, where you place blame in your life. You know, right. do you, do you place blame everywhere else or is the devil really yourself? You know, and yeah. that's actually, yeah. you know what I've said it before. I'll say it again. There is some wisdom in kiss lyrics sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I wrote the chapter on love, because so many of, you know, growing up as a kid, we always said all of Kiss songs are about sex and women, except for God of Thunder, which yeah, I've rethought that once I found <laughs> out Paul wrote it. But, yeah. uh, but then so that's when I started. I said, I'm going to get every Kiss song and then try to figure out what type of love that it's talking about. Um, and there is some depth there, especially if you look at uh, Paul's 
song to his son Evan, right? Um, on Carnival of Souls, right? That's yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Lick it up, right? I don't I don't interpret Lick it up as a song of sexual innuendo, even though he Paul does that on live albums where he's like, I want to lick you. Um, but it's really about his struggle with, you know, a breakup and wanting to commit suicide and right. It's about taking advantage of life. So there's wisdom there. Yeah, for sure. I love it. And I love this book. I think it's really cool. It's a totally new angle on my favorite band that I never really thought about a lot of these things before. So I'm about part way through the book, but I've really I've skipped around a little bit, just try to get some pointers and things to talk about here today. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the whole thing all the way through because I really dig it. You know, anything that can make me feel smarter as a Kiss fan, I'm a little bit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's uh, Kiss and Philosophy, Wiser Than Hell. I, th- I love the subtitle. I think that's great. By the time this episode is coming out, because we're recording it, it's not out yet. But by the time this episode does come out, this book will be available. Guys, where can they find the book at? Well, they should be able to find it in any book dealer. Um, so if you are brave enough to go out and visit a bookstore and they're still open, uh, they should have copies. It should be in their philosophy section. And it'll probably be under Lewis. So L. Of course, you can get it on uh, just about any online retailer, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble. Um, yeah, I'm sure just about anybody can. And, of course, they'll, sh- they'll start popping up on eBay, too. So um, uh, they always do for some reason. Uh, but... Yeah, so I mean, just about anywhere, it's a it should be nationwide. Um, should be uh, their electronic copies of it too, and so uh, maybe I, I'm I'm working on getting Gene to to do an audiobook version, but uh, they never return any of my emails. So yeah, I was going to ask if you had been in contact with them because I have to think Gene would like the premise of this book. Yeah. I th- I mean I would I would like to think so too and I did uh, I do want to make this public that since at least 2010 when I first had these ideas for the book I started contacting the band uh through multiple uh email attempts uh different things over the years to say hey here's this idea are you interested in it I don't want to infringe or upset you in any way um but yeah, they never responded. And so, um, I've moved forward without it, uh, without their official consent. Um, even though, uh, I did Bruce Kulik, right. He provides a blurb for the back of the yeah. book and he was nice enough to respond. So, uh, I hope they do like it. I hope they uh, enjoy it. And if they ever want to talk, uh, feel free to, uh, contact me court.lewis at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, I'll show up, right? I'll wear a mask if they want me to. Heck yeah. I'll wear Have one of their gift masks. <laughs> Have you tried writing a letter, putting it in an envelope, and putting some pennies in it and throwing it over the fence? Yes, yeah. <laughs> now, that's, that's my last resort right there. Uh, I'm actually a little scared to... Uh, do one of those meet and greets because I'm afraid they would say it's him. Kick him out again. So uh, I can't afford one, but uh, maybe with this book, I can say, Hey, uh, 
that's the next kiss show I go to. I'll take a book and throw it on stage and see what happens. Yeah, I was. Yeah, no, it's cool. I got I got to thank the guys in Kiss, Gene especially, and Paul too, because he's a pretty deep guy. I would think those guys really like and appreciate this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene collects just about everything. I know he would at least want a copy of it, probably. And you know, this book then a piece of history. It's also a piece of Decibel Geek collectible history because, along with Bruce Kulick on the back cover, and along with rock and roll. Uh, uh, a journalist, author extraordinaire, <laughs> you also got a nice little blurb on there from a guy named Aaron Camaro. Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate that, Aaron. And we really appreciate you guys taking the time to bring us on the show and talk about the, the book. We're really thrilled for the opportunity. As I mentioned before we started recording, I've been a fan of the show for some period of time and it is a surreal experience to be on Decibel Geek, Decibel Geek after listening to it for so many oh, years. Thanks, man. Very cool. Well, Matt, I actually got one better for you. And, Court, if you want to come back and make the challenge one day, that'd be awesome. And if you want to hang out and watch it happen, that'd be cool, too. But, Matt, I understand you're a big fan of Beat the Geek. I am a big fan of Beat the Geek. <laughs> and you are a professor. That is true. What do you say about stepping up to my personal professor of rock and roll, Chris Sinzak, and taking him on one-on-one right now in a quick round to beat the geek? Oh, I am down. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear this. This is going to be good. Okay, cool. All right. Should be interesting. Chris, before we start, I was like, well, you know, I just so happen to have 11 questions fired up if we uh, happen to need them today. I was thinking (laughs) you, man. I thought, oh yeah, he's got to accept the challenge. This is great. So, this is your first time checking it out. This is Beat the Geek. As always, we got Chris Sinzak. He's our resident geek. Today, he takes on the extra challenge of Matt Oshbach. He is a professor, and he's ready to step up to the plate and take on Chris Sinzak. I've got 11 questions because I am the game show host, and this show goes to 11. So, as always, the first question goes to the geek. Matt, I know I don't have to explain the rules to you, so are you guys ready? Ready. I'm probably going to meet my match today. <laughs> All right. Well, we're about to find out. All right, Chris, the first question goes to you. Which of the following bands – was the first to feature and was the first to feature the use of sign language in a music video. Jesus. I gotta find something to write the score on. That's one thing I forgot. Give me something to write on, man. Uh, <laughs> sign language in a music video. So, Matt, do you want to do you think he knows the answer or do you want to bet against him? I want to bet against him. I do not believe that Chris knows this. Yeah. It's, Starting it off high stakes right off the bat. I've got a score sheet and we're ready to go. Your choices are for the first rock band to ever use sign language in a music video. Was it Journey, Cheap Trick, Vixen, or Winger? I don't ever remember seeing sign language in a music video. So, um, Until I saw this. I'll just guess Journey. That is incorrect. Yep, the first video to feature sign language was a song called It's Only Love 
came out in 1980, and the band was Cheap Trick. Okay. You got it wrong. You were bet against. Professor Matt gets the point. All right. One and nothing. All right. Next question goes to you, Professor. The cover art of the album Odds and Sods by The Who features all four band members wearing this on their heads. Chris, do you think Matt knows what the guys from The Who are wearing on their heads on the cover of the Odds and Sods album? I'm going to say he knows this one. All right, Matt, you're not being bet against. Your choices are sombreros, Indian headdresses, football helmets, or animal masks? Well, Chris, I don't know this. Oh, I'm sure that Court Lewis does, but I don't. I'm going to say uh, animal masks because I just a, just a shot in the dark. Just football helmets. Football helmets. That's it. The right. answer is there. It's incorrect, but the answer is football helmets on the pods and sides. You're getting the video version of this. I got the CD sitting right here to prove it. <laughs> you were not bet against, okay. and you got it wrong. No points awarded. Score remains one to nothing, and the question goes back to Chris. And this is one of my favorite kind. It's the battle of the 1977 albums. Which of the following four rock albums in 1977 charted the highest on the U.S. Billboard album charts? Matt, do you want to bet uh, bet against him, or do you think he knows the answer? I think he knows the answer. All right. Well, here goes. I'm going to list four albums. You tell me which one ranked the highest, was the most popular in the United States on the Billboard charts. Was it the self-titled debut of Foreigner? Lace and Whiskey by Alice Cooper, Animals by Pink Floyd, or Let There Be Rock by ACDC? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Pink Floyd. That is correct. Nice. To number three, Foreigner went to number four. Alice Cooper topped out at 42, and ACDC only made it to 154, but it was 1977. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that Alice did not do well on that record, because Lace and Whiskey is hated by a lot of Alice fans. I like it, though. (laughs) Yeah, I like it, too. I think it's got some good stuff on it. All right, so you were not bet against, and you got it right, so you get the point. We're now tied one-to-one, and the question goes back to Matt. And I'm going to give you the same exact question, except with four different choices. Battle of the 1977 Bands. Which of these four albums went the highest on the U.S. Billboard charts? Chris, you got it right, but do you Mm. think Matt can? I'll say he knows it. All right, Matt, you're not being bet against. Your choices are The Grand Illusion by Styx, Cat Scratch Fever by Ted Nugent, Draw the Line by Aerosmith, or Little Queen by Heart? I'm going to say The Grand Illusion from Styx. That is correct. Grand Illusion made it to number six. The next closest was Heart with nine. Draw the Line went to 11, and Cat Scratch Fever topped out at 17. You were not bet against, but you got it right. You get the point. Brings you up two to one. All right. I need a beer. 
1974, Roger Glover of Deep Purple released the epic concept album rock opera, The Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast, featuring a stellar roster of special guests. All of the following vocalists make appearances on the album, except I'm going to list four singers. Three of them were on that Roger Glover album. One of them was not. Matt, do you think Chris knows the answer? I'm going to challenge him. I don't think he knows this. All right, Chris, you are being bet against, and your choices are David Coverdale, Ronnie James Dio, Glenn Hughes, or Robert Plant. Hmm. Well, he's connected to all of them but Robert Plant, but I almost feel like that's a red herring. Uh, I'll say Ronnie James Dio. That is incorrect. You should have trusted your gut. Ronnie James Dio was on like three songs on that album. Robert was not the one you were bet against. So Matt gets the point. Man, I should have just said Robert Plant. Brings the score up three to one. Two more questions before the kiss round. This is your next one. Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg were Metallica songs that appeared on the 1988 Electra reissue of Kill 'Em All and again on 1998's Garage Inc. On which Metallica single did these two songs originally appear as B-sides? So we got the two songs. They came out on different versions of different things, but originally... They were B-sides on a Metallica song. We're going to figure out which one it is. Chris, do you think Matt knows the answer? I want to bet against him, but I'm going to play it safe till we get to the kiss round. So I'm going to say he knows it. Chris has got a strategy going on, I guess. All right, Matt, your choices are Jump in the Fire, Seek and Destroy, Creeping Death, or For Whom the Bell Tolls. Creeping Death. That is correct. Another point for Matt brings it up four to one. Nice woman. Glad I earned that. And now we have one more question before the kiss round, and this one goes to Chris. Which '80s glam metal band took their name from a 1966 movie about three go-go dancers on a killing spree through the California desert? Matt, do you think Chris, do you think Chris knows which band I'm talking about? I think he knows it. All right, Chris, you're not being bet against. The (laughs) band that took their name from this movie, was it Danger Danger, Faster Pussycat, Twisted Sister, or Kick Tracy? It was Faster Pussycat. Yeah, I thought that one was maybe a little easy. (laughs) We're not bet against. Sometimes it's tough putting together these questions. I'll look at some of them and go, man, that's way too hard. And other ones go, "Ah, that's way too easy. And then I leave them in, I find out later I'm wrong. That yeah, one so, wrong. yeah, we're going to get a hate message from one of the listeners for that one. That was too easy. Yeah, <laughs> we get those from time to time. So the score is two to four. Matt's in the lead. But now it's time for the kiss round. And the first question goes to Matt. On the 2004 All-Star Kiss tribute album produced by Bob Kulick called Spin the Bottle, Jennifer Batten and Samantha Maloney team up with this singer to cover Shout It Out Loud. 
Chris, do you think Matt knows who sang Shout It Out Loud on that 2004 All-Star tribute to Kiss? I think he knows this one. All right. It's double the points. You're not being bet against. Matt, your choices are Brett Michaels, Lita Ford, Robin Zander, or Lemmy. Well, I don't know this, and oh. I'm I'm really concerned I'm going to get clobbered in the kiss round because that's what typically happens with Beat the Geek <laughs> when Chris is playing. But I'm going to go with Lita Ford. That is incorrect. Mm. The answer is Lemmy. Damn, should have bet against but you. Should not bet against you, and even though it's double the points, double or nothing is nothing. No points awarded. All right, next round, next question in the kiss round goes back to Chris, who's still behind by two points. In 2001, Tough released the album The History of Tough, featuring the song American Man. Which two former or current members of Kiss wrote this song? So it's a song called American Man. It's on the Tough album, The History of Tough. And it was written by two current or former members of KISS. Matt, does Chris know which two guys wrote this song for the Tough album? Oh, he knows it. All right, Chris, you're not being bet against, but you still got two points on the line. Your choices are Paul Stanley and Vinnie Vincent, Peter Chris and Mark St. John, Gene Simmons and Tommy Thayer, or Eric Singer and Bruce Kulick. It's, it's got to be one of the last two. Um, damn. I'll say Gene and Tommy. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. And look at that. The kiss round, as always, pretty important because now we're all tied up four to four. Yep, that was also written with the other guy from Black and Blue. Same St. James? Yeah, we'll yeah. have to ask you, Rochelle, about that sometime, how that happened in the, into his album. She yeah, do an album of the week just to find out the answer to that question. <laughs> All right, so it's down to the line. We've got two questions left, and we're tied four to four. And this question is Matt's final. On the 1993 Black Sabbath album, Cross Purposes, all the songs were written by Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Tony Martin, except for the song Evil Eye, which also includes the uncredited contribution of this guitar hero. Chris, do you think Matt knows the answer, or do you want to bet against him? I know the answer. Um, I'm going to – I'll say he knows this one. All right, Matt, you're not being bet against, but you need the point to push yourself one up right at the end here. Was the man who contributed to the song Evil Eye, was it Jimmy Page, Richie Blackmore, Eddie Van Halen, or Angus Young? This is just a guess. I can see, look at everyone's just waiting with bated breath. I can see it. (laughs) I'm going to go with Eddie Van Halen, God rest his soul. Well, guys, did you get it right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. That is correct. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen is the answer. And you get the point. Now you're up by one. Five to four. Now it goes back to Chris. 
This is the final question. Please beat the geek. You're going to win it, you're going to tie it, or you're going to lose it. It's all on this. On the week of September 16th, 1967, the self-titled debut album by The Doors peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard album charts. What album blocked it from reaching number one? All right, Matt, it's all on the line. You're up by one. You want to bet against him. I want to bet against him. All right, Chris. This one, now we know it's not going to tie. It's either going to be a win or a loss. All right. The choices are Jefferson Airplane's Surrealistic Pillow, The Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, The Rolling Stones' Flowers, or The Monkeys' Headquarters. Oh, jeez. Oh. Sergeant Pepper. That is correct. In the final question, <laughs> you move that against, and you bring it back. You beat a real professor. Well done, Mr. Sinzak. Well done. Thank correct. you. The Beatles were number one. The Monkees were in at number three. The Stones at four. And Jefferson Airplane at five that week in 67. What a time for music, though. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, if that's your top five albums in the United States, man, that's awesome. Yeah, there's no Cardi B anywhere in there. No. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Oh, good game, Matt. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you are a formidable opponent, to be sure. (laughs) Well, and I and I know you're a Niners fan, so and I'm a Chiefs fan, so after the day I had, it, it, that, that was nice to end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun, guys, and we're really glad you were able to come on. You guys check out the, uh, what is it, the Rock and Metal Profs? Is that what it's called? Yeah? The Rock and Metal Profs podcast. We put out a new episode every Monday. We've got about nine episodes out. And we do quite a bit of what you're seeing in the book as well. A lot of history and philosophy, taking a look at the intellectual side of hard rock and heavy metal. Uh, I think a lot of people who maybe are not familiar with the genre just think it's all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But as we know as fans, it's a lot deeper than that. There are some really powerful messages within this genre of music. And I personally think that most fans of hard rock and metal are very intelligent people uh, with a lot to say and they're very passionate about the music. So, uh, we're trying to take a little bit different approach to the genre and 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 give it its its just due. Awesome, very cool. I look forward to check out some more of those episodes. And then, of course, available right now for you, Kiss and Philosophy: Wiser Than Hell. Very awesome book, edited by Cortland Lewis, our guest here today, along with Matt. And yeah, get out there and get this book. It's a really exciting book if you're a Kiss fan. You're, like I said, let me, let me just read what I what I had on the back of the book so you guys understand where <laughs> I'm coming from on this. This is what I got as my little blurb on the back of the book. And this sums me up, and you'll understand why this book is so cool in my eyes. Kiss captivated me at a very young age. My adoration for them never wavered through my teenage years and into adulthood. The music, the presentation, and the attitude all helped make me into the person that I am today. Thanks to this book, I can finally get the insight to understand why I am so awesome. Thank you, Kit. And thank you, Court. And thank you, Matt.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.